Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. This is Steve. And this is Paula. And this is Ohio Mysteries, but... Before we get to tonight's episode, we have some stunning news. For the first time, a mystery that we have featured may have been solved. Paula, do you want to fill us in? Sure thing, Steve. So last March, one year ago this very month, we featured an episode about the case of Rachel Johnson, a young mother from Akron who got out of a friend's car in the early morning hours of a night back in 1991 and was picked up by a killer. Rachel was sexually assaulted stabbed to death, and set on fire in the middle of an Akron street. In that episode, we talked with Caitlin Puzakulix, the little girl who was still a toddler when her mother was murdered. Caitlin had taken a renewed interest in her mother's case as an adult, and frankly, her interest appeared to have caused Akron detectives to move her mom's cold case up the line. Because last year, After talking to Caitlin, they sent some DNA to the state's crime lab and used the new familial DNA technology to trace it to a suspect. Last week, police arrested Daniel L. Rees of Akron and charged him with aggravated murder. Rees is 57. He would have been 28 years old on March 30, 1991, when Rachel was killed. Here's the crazy, heartbreaking part of this, as reported by Sean McDonald of the Akron Beacon Journal, who interviewed Caitlin as well as Rachel's mother, Gail, her sister, Leela, and her brother, Sam. Rees lived across the street from Caitlin as she was growing up without her mother in Akron's Goodyear Heights neighborhood and interacted with the family for years. Caitlin said the man had been in her home, came to various family events, even took her on her first motorcycle ride. And Rachel Johnson's sister, Leela, who was 13 when her older sister was killed, said she would later work alongside Reese at a printing company, a man she had hugged in her lifetime. He trained her on equipment, The two even had lunch together regularly. Detective James Pashelich said without the familial DNA technology, they would never have identified him. They had collected DNA of Rachel's attacker, but had never been able to match it to anyone before. Familial DNA uses a national database of willing contributors to get a close match. In this case, it tags someone who was a second cousin of the killer. And from there put together a family tree to narrow down the possibilities of who their actual target may be. The trail led to Reese. In this case, police collected a direct DNA sample from Reese through some trash he'd discarded, and it matched the DNA in evidence. The Beacon Journal's website is ohio.com. I recommend you read Sean's entire story. There are some really touching details about Rachel and her impact on the lives of those she loved. The Beacon site is a pay site, but you can see five stories at that site for free each month. Thanks for the update, Paula. So ready for a new mystery tonight? You bet. But first, how about our tradition of sampling some homegrown Ohio music? Of course. Here we go. 
Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Don't Look Back, Mary, a song by Angela Purley. Angela is our featured Ohio musical artist tonight, so hang out with us to the end of the podcast. We'll tell you a little bit more about her, how to find her music, and let you listen to that entire song. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akron Beacon Journal. Hi, everybody. Steve, do you think our listeners are running out of logs for the campfire? I don't know. They sh- if they are, they need to get out there and start cutting some wood. <laughs> well, let's hope they got one going tonight, because I've got a case from 2001 oh, for you tonight. It's pretty recent. It's a story of how badly things can go for you if you fall in love with the wrong person. So we're going to go to Marysville, Ohio in Union County. That's about a half hour's drive from Columbus. Do you know why Marysville would be well known today? Because uh, Steve Yoder entered a cooking contest back when he was in high school and came in third place down there? No, oh, really? Yeah. Well, very, that's the second reason. <laughs> okay. Well, Marysville is the home of the Honda of America car making plant. Oh, okay. Yeah. And on June 29, 2001, it's beginning shutdown week for the plant. Now, that sounds bad. It's not a bad thing. This was cause for celebration. Every year, the car maker closed to celebrate the 4th of July week, giving employees a vacation. Oh, wow. And like her co-workers, Patricia Atkins, Patty, to her friends and family, was excited about getting the week off. Patty had taken a job at the plant right after high school and rose through the ranks to become a shift supervisor. She was a hardworking 29-year-old single mom raising a seven-year-old daughter. But she was also a woman in love. And a man she had grown close to at work over the past year was taking her on a romantic getaway to a cabin in a remote part of Canada. Now, while the couple talked at work all the time, they had not spent much time together at all away from the plant, and for very good reason. Patty's boyfriend was a married man, married with children. The man stressed to Patty that she needed to keep their relationship quiet, But it wasn't exactly a secret. The two worked on different lines. So the fact that they made an effort to visit each other and chat daily was pretty obvious to co-workers. Besides, Patty shared her infatuation with a handful of people, even telling some that she and her boyfriend were making plans for him to leave his wife so they could begin their life together. Now, preparing for her trip to Canada... Patty asked her sister, Marcia to watch over her little girl while she was gone. Then the day of the trip, she dropped her golden retriever and her cats off at the kennel and joined a co-worker for the ride into work so she wouldn't have to leave her car in the parking lot. 
She and her boyfriend both worked shifts that ended at midnight. They planned to leave directly from the plant. There was one caveat. Her boyfriend carpooled with another man, and he didn't want that man to be suspicious or know about the trip with Patty. So their plans called for Patty to hide in the back of his pickup truck for the 35-minute ride to his house. The truck's bed had a new tarp-style cover that he had just purchased and installed a couple days before. To simplify things, he even told Patty, don't bring anything with you. We'll buy what we need on the road. At 19 seconds after midnight, Patty clocked out of her shift. She headed to the parking lot. Witnesses saw her in her white Honda of America uniform. It was the last time anyone saw Patty Atkins alive. Patty didn't have a cell phone, so no one was too surprised when they didn't hear from her over the course of the week. She did say they would be in a remote part of Canada. But she was supposed to show up at noon Sunday, July 8, for a family barbecue and to pick up her daughter. Missing that was completely out of character. Her sister, Marcia called her home repeatedly and then drove to Patty's house. Patty's Honda Accord was in the garage. Her personal items were all undisturbed. So Marcia called Patty's boyfriend. To her shocking surprise, the man acted like he didn't even know who Patty was. He denied having a relationship with her, denied going away with her. According to an interview that Marcia gave to Crime Watch Daily, that's the moment she knew her sister was dead. Marcia's next phone call was to police. At 7.30 p.m., she filed a missing persons report. The Union County Sheriff's Office did the investigation since Patty lived in Union County. Lieutenant Jeff Styers got the case on July 10, 2001. In an interview with NBC's Dateline, Styers said, We were definitely suspicious right from the beginning, especially when we heard she had a small daughter. Not too many moms are going to leave their child. It took a couple of days for authorities to track down Patty's boyfriend. They found him at his home where he lived with his wife and children. Again, he denied having anything to do with Patty. Three days later, investigators returned. They didn't have a search warrant, but the man gave them permission to search the property anyway. Lieutenant Styers told Dateline they found clues that suggested the man was indeed in a relationship with Patty. For starters, Marcia had described to police a Harley Davidson phone and a Hard Rock Cafe t-shirt that Patty had gifted to the man. Police found both items. Styers said they also found a letter written by Patty to the man talking about their relationship and how much she wanted to be with him. The boyfriend's truck was also searched, and in the tarp that had been attached to the truck, a forensic team found cat hairs that they later were able to match to the cats Patty had taken to the kennel before her shift. There was also a spot of blood. Police declined to say if the blood matched anyone, but they cryptically told reporters it might have to wait for technology to advance. Further investigation turned up something even more ominous. Turns out, 
Patty had given her boyfriend $90,000 in the months leading up to her disappearance. He had a car business on the side, and he told her before he left his wife, he needed to buy out his portion of the business so she could not touch it in the divorce. A banker confirmed the transactions between Patty and her boyfriend. Police believed Patty told her boyfriend that he needed to start repaying the money, some of which she had even borrowed from her 401k. Could that have been a motive? Patty has never been found, but there is nothing to suggest she is still alive. She has been declared legally dead, and even without a body, the Union Sheriff's Office classifies her case not as a missing person, but as a homicide victim. Patty's family has worked hard to keep Patty's story in the public eye. Her sisters and even her daughter have shared their stories in the hopes of convincing someone to speak up or provide a missing piece of the puzzle. There are others who have done the same, including some people who have never even met Patty. We have one of them here tonight. All right, well, let's bring on that armchair detective. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, Renee. Hi. Hey, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? I am 36 years old. I live outside of Bell Fountain. I'm a first-time mom. Congratulations. Thank you. He'll be eight months next month, or actually eight months this month on the 8th. I don't, I'm basically just a stay-at-home mom, and I just love spending time with my son and my nieces and nephews, and Another interest of mine is pretty much just keeping Patty's name out in the open. Now you it's, didn't you didn't know Patty, but obviously no. you have a big interest in this case. Why oh, don't yeah. you tell us how that came about? I first heard about Patty um, right after it happened. My father um, worked at Honda. I was going into my senior year of high school, and he worked at the other plant. And it got around fast of what happened. Or, you know, her going missing. And that's how I found out about Patty. And over the years, um, I've lived within some years. I was in around Balfound and other years I've lived as far as Osiris. And but I would think about it because it just bothered me. The cold case just bothered me because there was a suspect, but nothing was being done. And then fast forward to 2011, I saw her case on disappeared. And I was fiance's house or I called my husband I was at his parents house when I saw it and I got to thinking you know what I had not heard anything about her in a while there was nothing on Facebook about her because that's when Facebook was getting up there like my space wasn't as big anymore but Facebook was getting big and I'm like I'm just gonna make her a page because I haven't seen nothing about Patty at all and that's pretty much where the page came from so what year did you start that page 2011 it was right after her disappeared episode came on or when I saw the disappeared episode. Wow. So yeah. you have had that page for nine years. 
Yeah. That is amazing. Thanks. Clearly, the story really moved you. What oh, What yeah. was it about this story other than other stories? Is it because your d- dad worked at the plant, or was there something um, about her story that really touched you? I, I think what it was is my dad working at the other Honda plant and just hearing, I mean, the rumors flew. It went from, you know, maybe she got hurt at the plant or she was, I mean, the rumors were crazy that she was still there. The new boyfriend is basically, it was just all the rumors got me interested in it, but it wasn't until I saw the disappeared episode because honestly, I didn't know any of the other information. Like I didn't know she loaned at me a money. I didn't know that she told everyone she was going to Canada. I didn't know any of that. Basically just, you know, like I said, I was still, still a child, I guess, you know, still in school and, you know, not even 18 yet. One of the things the police mentioned in saying that they suspected foul play pretty quickly was the fact that she was a mother. And they said that says a lot about, you know, what might have happened because they don't believe that she would have left her daughter. And you're a new mom now, and I'm assuming that probably resonates with you more than ever. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm... (laughs) Yeah, because I... I I think it hit me, too, because I always wanted to be a mom. Ever since I was a child, I wanted to... A little girl, I wanted to be a mom. I had my little baby doll. That's what I wanted to be when I grew up. And at that point, obviously, I didn't have children yet, but I thought to myself, you know, okay, maybe if her family had described her a different way, she was known for taking off and stuff like that. But the fact that she was very present in her daughter's life, her daughter was her world pretty much, that it just didn't make sense that she would just, you know, up and walk away. Do you feel that your Facebook page has done any good? I mean, you've been up for nine years now. What is like, what can you point to out of that Facebook page that makes you think that this, this has been helpful having that out there? People have resonated good with it because I've had comments from around the world that have seen it. And I think it piqued people's interest even more I, I think probably the best good that's come out of it is it's, it's got people talking again for the longest time. It seemed like it was just localized at the Honda plant. You know, my husband worked there for a little bit, and he would hear rumors about it. People must be like, hey, you know, I was this, this place when it happened, and I was hearing that this happened, or well, the cops need to look into this, or they need to look into that. I don't know if maybe... It's just giving them an outlet to try to give new information. But I mean, I think that's probably one of the best things since I made it because it's getting people talking again. Right. And I think so, that's that's cold case 101. Oh, yeah. Being out in the public eye, keeping, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. If oh, there yeah, are exactly. thousands and thousands of unsolved homicides in Ohio, which ones are going to get looked at, which ones are going to get the attention. They are the ones that are out there in the public eye, the ones that are forgotten, you know, yeah. they're probably less likely to get solved. So mm-hmm. well, good for you for for keeping uh, Patty's name out there oh, and um, trying to get people uh, more involved. Do you think this case is solvable? I mean, it's been a long time. Oh, yeah. Next year it'll have been 20 mm-hmm. years. Can this case still be solved? Oh, yeah, there have been cases 
with less evidence than this and no body and they've been convicted. That's what I do not understand about this. There's, <laughs> to me, is very, and to a lot of people, it's, it's cut and dry. You know, it is cut and dry on what happened. And the only thing missing is her body, and that's it. I think this person could be convicted. The evidence is all there. The one thing that gets me is the whole blood, the blood sample. Um, so they found a, a drop of blood in the truck. Apparently, okay, apparently, because for the long time, I'm like, okay, yeah, they, you know, they don't have the technology yet. But over the years, like that, I have people messaging me from around the world, you know, and with this drop of blood, because I've spoke to the detective at least twice, and he can pretty much only say what he told media and what he told that show. And he's like, well, they're, they're the speck as much as if you smack a mosquito on your arm. And that's what it is. We use it once. If we use it once, it's going to be gone. I've heard and, that before, that you get one crack yeah. at it, and if you don't yeah. get it, and it's gone. he's like, technology hasn't gotten there. It is almost 2020. Technology is there. It's there. I've, like I said, I've had people contact me. They're like, I'm in forensics, or I'm in this and this. We have technology to do that. It can be done. So honestly, for me, I don't think the blood was there. I really don't. I think the blood was a scare tactic to get someone to come forward. Oh, oh that's interesting. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people believe that, too. I, on, the more I think about it, it could be tested. It really could be tested. Now, and, I know you said earlier, you know, that you kind of feel this is a slam dunk in terms of oh, who yeah. the suspect is. and. I will say, mm-hmm. having done more than 100 episodes now of Ohio Mysteries, there are several cases where I thought there was a slam dunk and it wasn't the right person. Yeah. But it's really hard to get around his denials that he even knew mm-hmm. her. I'm like, if yeah. he had mm-hmm. started out by saying something like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, we went away, but then she, we had an argument, she disappeared, and I never saw her yeah. again, or something like that. But to just start oh, yeah. with a denial of even knowing mm-hmm. her is just so suspicious. Oh, yeah, and then the wife, too. Yeah. I, yeah, that, that gets me, too. I heard that but, the, oh, the family's, like, been very supportive of him. His family has been oh, very supportive mm-hmm. of him. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't seem like, you know, the, the loose end's going to come from that direction. But, Mm-mm. boy, I, what do you think about the need to just find her body? I mean, how important is that? I, I think it's very important because her family needs this. They need to put her to rest. Now, she's already been le- declared legally dead. I think she was declared legally dead back in 2005 or around around there and at this point they need her home even if he could just make an anonymous tip about where she is yeah he's and, well he's not likely to do that because there oh, may no. be evidence with the body certainly you never mm-hmm. get closure but there are certain levels of closure that you can get and the very basic one would be to have a loved one whose body you can bury. I remember we did an episode on a family who they finally 
I don't know, like 20 years after their loved one went missing, they held a funeral yeah. and they were like, we just realized we were denied a funeral. We were denied, oh, yeah. you know, this right that is just very important for families to go through. So they put in an obituary, they held a funeral and it gave them a, a sense of, you know, not having been cheated out of that. I One of the things that didn't make sense to me was in his alibi, according to, I think it was the friend, they were waiting in line for 40 minutes. That is not possible. I know. It's crazy. That, yeah. It, this is after midnight. You, I think this is after one o'clock in the morning. Or like, so him and this friend, they're trying to account for a certain amount of mm-hmm. time that they need to explain where they yeah. were. And their argument is that we were in a Burger King drive through mm-hmm. and we were waiting yep. for 40 minutes. Yeah, there, there's no way. And they did go back to that Burger King, and the Burger King was able to tell them, like, how many customers they had in that hour and why oh, yeah. it would be ridiculous to think that they had to wait any more than, you know, five minutes. Yeah. That makes the friend... Suspect, like, was the friend in on it? That, that's what I'm thinking. And another story I got that she was seen at his garage, and she dropped off a blue duffel bag. You know, this I'm guessing this man was a neighbor yeah. of him, or near him, or you know, lived by him, and saw her there a, a few times. And that's just like I said, you know, this I just don't understand with. I mean, I guess it is circumstantial evidence. I would be careful about stating it that way because I'm sure the police are writing it all down. Yeah. It's really up to the prosecutor to decide mm-hmm. yeah. whether there is enough evidence to bring a charge. That's not up to the police. So I'm sure the police are listening. I'm sure they have written down everything. I'm sure they have volumes and volumes of, of interviews in this case. There would be no reason for them not to. I mean, it's... It's an important case. It was public. It's in their best interest to show that they can get this solved. But I, I've got to, you know, I want to trust that the prosecutor looked at this and said, there's just, you don't have the evidence here. You can't get thrown in jail for lying about knowing somebody. So, you know, basically, you know, short of having some hard physical evidence, that's yeah. really going to be hard. I think the next step really is to find her body. But oh, oh, exactly. He's going to talk someday. You know, he okay. Granted, he hasn't done it yet. It's been twenty years. But you know, or somebody will. I'm telling oh, you, yeah. I yeah. I think there are a lot of people that know something, and all it takes is one of them one day to grow a conscience and mm-hmm. say the right thing. All it's going to take is just one anonymous tip right. of where she is. But it's sad to say with it being this long. But then again, I know I've heard of cases that's been longer and then they've been found. If you dismiss this scenario with him, what is the other option? And it's hard to come up with something else. Oh, you know, yeah. they saw her in the parking lot leaving her shift. And she was never seen again. She should never have left that parking lot with anybody other than him. So it's yeah. it's and really like, hard to come up with another scenario. 
Yeah, and like too, I a couple people have messaged me from Honda that knew her that she was on the phone before clocking out, and she was she was in an argument with somebody, like a just it was not a good conversation, I guess, but she was really somewhat upset on the phone, and um, okay, so I hadn't, I don't think that was reported by the news, but you're saying. People who saw her clocking out that night yeah. saw her on, on the phone, phone having a, a stressful conversation with someone. Yeah. Very interesting. That's contrary to what was reported in the paper in terms of her not yeah, having so, a phone. Yeah, see, like I said, this is why just some stuff, I, I mean, I guess I just don't, I know things were not overlooked. I, I, I'm giving the police the benefit of the doubt. You know what I mean? They really are working hard on this, you know. 20 years, that's way too long. Because of what has happened, she's missed out on a lot of things with her daughter and with her family. And I've seen her daughter giving interviews, and it's just, it's just heartbreaking. It's, oh, yeah. It's heartbreaking. And, you know, the fact that he does have kids, and he is going to see them grow up. Right. You know, and have grandkids. Patty's never going to have that. Her family is never going to have that with her. He's out there. He's free. He can do what he wants. And it's just, it's not fair with any type of disappearance where, you know, it's very obvious what happened, but the person never comes home. You right. know, it's not, it's not fair to the family. So. Renee, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And thank you for keeping Patty's name out there in the public and giving people a venue to share information or, you know, extend their condolences to the family. I assume if people Google just uh, Facebook and yeah. Patty Adkins, it would probably show yeah, up and get it, them there. Yeah, it does. All right. Yeah. Renee, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you guys for doing this because this is what she needs it the more she's out there the better Hello, we have this superb podcast called We Didn't Start the Fire, the only podcast started by Billy Joel. It is the most original, fascinating, and random way to learn the story of the 20th century. Oh, pretty darned random. And we are joined by some pretty incredible guests. I only wrote stuff that I wanted to hear. If it turned out to be a hit, it was pure dumb luck. With me, Katie Puckrick. And me, Tom Fordyce. This is We Didn't Start the Fire, the only podcast started by me, Billy Joel. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist. Angela Purley is from Columbus, Ohio, and she's been writing tragic love songs rooted in folk, cosmic country, and indie rock for over a decade now, much of that time with a group called the Howlin' Moons. Angela is a prolific performer. If you want to keep up with what she's doing, best to follow her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or check out her website, AngelaPurley.com. I'm on her website right now, and I see shows in Indiana, Illinois, and Texas, but fortunately, she still performs a lot at home, including an April 17 show coming up in Athens and one in Cincinnati on May 2. 
Tonight, we're playing Angela Perley's new song, Don't Look Back, Mary. Have a listen, and we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries.
you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.